Hi everyone, welcome to another Wealthy Wednesday podcast. Today I have Dominic Neshi and Peter Escher joining me, both Wealthy co-founders. Hi Dom, how are you? Very good. Excited for this session. We had a whole bunch of questions ready for us. I'm keen. I know. So today, before I go into introducing and talking to Peter, we're going to be talking about questions we've received from clients regarding what's happening with the real estate market. Hi, Peter. How are you? Good, good. Good to see you again. And yeah. Good to be back in the studio. Nice to see you too. So I'm going to be reading out of my page on four questions we received from four clients of ours. And I'm going to jump straight into question number one that comes from Katie. So Katie was wondering when we're expecting to hit bottom of the market market and start seeing it grow again. Peter, do you want to go for that? It's an interesting question because everybody tries to pick the bottom of the market. Everybody wants to buy right at the bottom and sell right at the top and people usually do the opposite. Yeah. Uh, they buy you know, right at the top and sell right at the, at the bottom. So Katie, I think um, you know, Dom and I uh, and Tiffy and the whole wealthy team, we've got this philosophy that we don't like selling. We like to buy and when you when you you make your money when you buy and if you're holding an asset for the long term it doesn't really matter you know where the market moves up and down you want to buy something good hold it for a very long period of time because that's how you build wealth that's not a cop-out to answer the question mm -hmm. so katie wants to know if uh, now is a environment where she's going to get good value yeah and we fundamentally believe that it is in certain markets that we research really well and a lot of markets it isn't they'll probably come off a little bit, they might not go up, they might not perform well. But in certain pockets that we like, we think that the market has bottomed um, and is providing really good value and really good opportunity. And so they're the areas that you'd wanna be buying in. Uh, we like Sydney, for example, we like certain parts of Melbourne. Uh, we, we're very, very selective on Brisbane. Mm. It's a market that we're probably not really hot on at the moment. Um, but particularly parts of Western Sydney, Dom, where you've been doing a lot of work, um, I think they're, they're really good markets, right? Yeah, I completely agree. Um, so, Katie, if you're wondering, you know, where's the bottom of the market and when are we going to see growth again? Um, firstly, I agree with everything what Peter said. Uh, and secondly, the, if all things remain as they are, which is unlikely, uh, you know, if, 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 if everything keeps on going as it is, you know, uh, the coronavirus sort of eases its grip on the, at least the domestic market within Australia, people start getting more confidence, jobs start coming back. I think that we basically have seen near the bottom now. But if some other scary things come out of the woodwork, if there's a big flare up or something happens in the US or China or someone eats another bat or I don't know, something scary happens, then we might see another retraction. But um, when do I see growth happening? Probably when things start getting warmer. When, when the season changes, when we start coming into spring, that sort of September time, I think we're going to see a lot more activity come back into the market. We're going to see uh, people literally leaving their houses, be encouraged by the warm weather, go to more open house inspections, do some private viewings. I think by that stage, we're going to see a, a larger market recovery. We're going to see retail coming back. Um, people are going to get their jobs again. There's going to be more income into the system. And people are gonna come into this market with a renewed vitality thinking, I got locked up in my house mm. for three months 
I didn't like not having a study or I didn't like this or I hated this or I hated mm. that or I want to change my life and I've got all these grand plans. I've now got a new sense of value and appreciation. I need to do something. I want to buy something like this or that or the next thing. I think we're going to see a lot of people come in. There's going to be a renewed vitality and with that, we're going to see a big increase in the market. So, when things get warmer, Katie, that's when we're going to see some growth in the market. That's a great answer. And I I, I cannot wait till spring comes, to, to first and foremost. I believe that you are spot on. And we've mentioned this in a prior podcast where your own home will become even more important now than ever before. And it, we had discussed what changes we might see in properties. And w for instance, bigger spaces or appreciating having a co-working space in your own building or stuff like that. And, and there will, we will be seeing some changes in property itself. So thank you for your answer, guys. I think it's, it's spot on. And also you can have a, a million people predicting this. And yeah, you have a lot of economists already doing that. And we are within our knowledge trying to give as much information as possible. So spot on. So I'm going to go with question number two. This question comes from Ankit and he asks, should I be looking to buy a house or an apartment? Mm. This one we get pretty often, no matter whether there's coronavirus or not. Dom, do you want to give a start to this one? Okay, so Ankit. <laughs> it depends on what you want, you know. Firstly, is if it's your own home and uh, or if it's an investment. If it's your own home, you like what you like, okay? Some people want to be really close to the city or to the beach and they're limited by budget. Guess what? You're going to end up in an apartment. Um, some people uh, really want space. They really get value out of having space, out of having levels, out of having grass. Um, go for a house. Now, when it comes to an investment decision, uh, it depends on what you're going to do with your investment and what your existing portfolio looks like. If you've got a heap of land in Sydney already, you may not want to go and buy some more land. You may want to diversify your portfolio and go and get an apartment go get something near Bondi, go get something in Parramatta, get something that's a bit smaller, compressed, has higher yields in the CBD. Um, you may want to diversify your portfolio so that you might have higher income rather than just, you know, uh, typically growth. So it really all depends on your circumstance. It depends on how much money you have. It depends on so many other things to say whether you're going to go apartments or houses. It, it, think of it as a tool. You're not going to use a hammer to do to screw things mm. in. You're not going to use a screwdriver to hammer things in. So it's what you need and what you want. Pete, what do you reckon? Dom's perfectly summarised it. Uh, I don't think I can add much to that. Um, it, it's not a fair comparison because you're comparing two different things. It's it's like saying you know what's better, a fifty dollar note or a hundred dollar note. You know, each has its own value and each has its own worth, and it depends what you want. There's a cultural issue. Um, that in a lot of cultures, apartments aren't as good as houses. You should buy a house because houses go up. That's bollocks because there are certain markets where houses haven't moved and there are certain markets where apartments have been absolutely fantastic investments. And so the point that Dom's making is it really depends on what you're trying to achieve. And if, if you strip back living in it and have a look at um, it as an investment, an investment needs to work on so many levels. Taxation is a very important part of your investing because if you have a tax smart investment, it makes a big difference to an investment that isn't tax effective. 
Apartments carry a lot of tax advantages that houses don't, for example. And so if you strip away the, the old stigma and looking towards the new world and look towards what millennials want to live in, the lifestyles we live today, the way we live in our cities and where the demand is expected to be into the future, a lot of times apartments make a lot more sense. But sometimes a house is obviously better because you've got a block of land and in some areas that land is worth a lot of money and so you're capitalizing on that. So what we're saying is it all depends, depends on your particular circumstance, what you're after, what you're trying to achieve and your strategy, right? At what stage of your investment portfolio you're at before you can decide whether to go for a house or an apartment. And to make a fair comparison, there's so many levels that are involved. Why not both? Mm. <laughs> exactly. Well, sometimes, Peter, I, I want to be fair, like we don't have the money for both, right? So we have to choose to start with one. That's why you work with us. <laughs> <laughs> and, and even when we work with clients and people come to us saying we have money for two or three, we start with one, right? Like you first go ahead and, and do one. Um, Peter, can I just deep dive a little bit more before we go into question number three? You mentioned there are some benefits, like tax-related benefits. Can you mention one or two regarding apartment-wise? What benefits? benefits we could see. And just before I get into that again, you reminded me of something. Uh, what we've seen in the past few months is governments pay out hundreds of billions of dollars to save the economy. Guess what? That money has to be repaid. And governments are going to start increasing taxes into the future, not today because the economy is still crippled and we're in a sensitive situation. That debt has to get repaid. And guess how governments make money? Through taxation. And so tax I and mean, investing around tax and not avoiding tax because that's against the law, but, but working within the framework of taxation is going to be very important. And you have to think about this as part of your investing because what you keep is not what you make. Uh, you, what you make, you get taxed, and then that's what you keep. And so your tax strategy is important. The tax law as of today says that there's this beautiful uh, benefit to an investor called depreciation. And it basically means that the wear and tear of a building, I can claim off my tax bill every year. And that reduces my tax uh, payable potentially, and it makes my investment more tax effective. Now, apartments have a lot more building value and smaller land value. And so that's in essence how it works. Did you want to add anything on top of that, Tom? I was going to say that the smartest organizations, the smartest individuals go to extreme lengths to minimize their tax bill. Okay. You have a look at the big companies like Amazon, Microsoft. All of these big companies, all these smart people make hundreds of millions, billions of dollars and they go to extreme lengths to, to minimize their tax. There is some truth in that, okay? Mm -hmm. So if the, if the smartest people in the world are doing this, doesn't it make sense for us as investors to have a look at what the implications are of tax on us and how we can minimize our tax? So you wouldn't go and invest in something purely for tax incentives, but if you have tax incentives on top of it being a good investment, yeah. that tips the scale in another direct in that direction. So again, it's it's uh, it makes up part of a portfolio. I'm not saying to buy all brand new property um, because you've bought old property as well, and so have I, but you do need that as a part of your portfolio in order to get the um, advantages that it brings. And one more thing, 
tax effective investing can be done in an ethical way. Yes. So it is not something that you need to feel bad about because the government says we want to create these incentives to drive investment in this part of the economy. We want to incentivize our tax system to encourage more brand new investment because we want to increase housing supply because we want to make it affordable and make sure everyone has the opportunity to buy a house. So you can do it in an ethical way, in a socially responsible way, where you're actually contributing to the greater good of the community. And you're also ending up with more money in your pocket, which you're going to spend and get taxed on anyways. And it goes back to um, you know, making it even for the whole community and everything else. Yeah, 100%. And I was uh, listening to a podcast myself uh, about property investments in, in the US, so different market. And they introduced this guest as the next Warren Buffett. And he was saying it was an eye-opening moment when I looked at what Warren Buffett was paying in taxes. It was way less than what I was paying. And he's millionaire by a lot more than I am. So definitely the most a, a wealthy people in the world are definitely spending a lot of time in their tax strategy and how they optimize their in, their entire investment portfolio. And that's just a part of it. They make a lot of money, but then they know how to keep it. Mm. That's the key. Exactly. When, sorry, I'm just going to deviate. But when I ask people, do you know what's your biggest expense? most of the people will answer my rent mm. and I want you to reconsider because most likely your biggest expense right now are the taxes you're paying to the government. Like that's the number one. Whenever you get paid your salary, the first thing that comes out of your salary is the tax you're paying, right? So we need to be aware of that. Okay, guys, I'm going to go with question number three. Um, Peter, I'm going to go first with you. So cool. Maninder, another of our clients, was asking, do you think the market is oversupplied with brand new apartments in some areas and at some points in time yes overall today in metro cities no um, because you can't just look at supply at one point in time you have to look at supply over a cycle uh, and what we've seen is periods where there's very limited building and construction and then mini booms and then it contracts and so on because it's such a difficult thing mm. to create a house or to create an apartment there's approval processes design funding construction and takes a lot of time and a lot of money to create that but every single piece of real estate that you drive around and see was at some point brand new Uh, and at some point, someone was saying, this is oversupplied, oversupplied. I remember my dad telling me a story about when he came to Australia in the 70s. He used to hear, you know, oversupply, oversupply, this oversupply argument. And our population's only grown. Our economy's grown. I'm sure you've got the same stories, right? Yeah. It, and I always hear it's always, it's always too expensive. The market <laughs> is always too expensive. Yeah. Oversupply, too expensive. Market's going to collapse 40%. Okay. Hmm. Sorry, I interrupted. So, and the other thing about supply is we see, you can see supply, but you can't see demand. You know, so when you see a crane in the sky and you see 200 apartments being built, it's like, oh, wow, all this supply. But people don't see the demand. People don't see that, you know, the hundreds of thousands of people migrating to this country every year, you know, a 1% birth rate, for example, is 250,000 people being born every year. We don't have a 1% birth rate in Australia, but that's mm -hmm. just an example of how demand every year, you don't necessarily see it lined up driving around, but you see supply. So 
There are some markets that are oversupplied at some point in time, stay away from them. And that's why our platform vets them out. We do all the research. We make sure you avoid the bad pockets. But overall, don't fall into this trap of always looking for oversupply or falling for the oversupply argument. That That is a negative mindset. Generally, people that have that view don't have an abundance mindset. They don't have a positive outlook. They can be right at times, but more often than not, they're very negative and they have a problem for every solution. Okay, it makes a lot of sense. Dom, do you want to add? Well, I want to add a lot to that. It's because, you know, the people that Peter's referring to, they're looking for problems. If it's not oversupply, they're talking about one problem or another. I mean, it's it's all well and good to be aware of market conditions, to be aware of what's actually happening. But when people spout generally that the market's oversupplied, it's kind of silly because they're not thinking about well, what specifically is being oversupplied, what's being built. What specifically? Is it one bedroom apartments we've got too many of? Two bedrooms, three bedrooms, houses? What? Where's the oversupply and for what? So you can go to a market and there will be an oversupply of two bedroom units, but everyone will say, listen, there's an oversupply for the whole market, but there may be a severe shortage of three bedroom penthouses. Mm. And then you'll see huge climbing prices for that particular product, or there's no supply available for four bedroom houses with two car garages on this type of block. And everybody wants that. So for someone to say there's an oversupply generally, generally doesn't know what they're talking about and Uh sorry no jump in no no you finish no go oh cool i had this off the top of my head so i didn't want to lose it i'll tell you what i think is oversupplied cash money so if you think sitting in cash you're protecting yourself from oversupply (laughs) guess what the 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 notes that are sitting in your bank account are being printed at a pace that they have never been printed to the same extent ever. Mm. That's why interest rates are at zero. That's why central banks and governments are just splashing cash out. Look at the oversupply there. Yeah. Because, you know, if you think that the amount of cash that you're sitting on today will be worth the same in 10 years time, guess what? You're going to be very, very surprised and shocked. And if you go and ask your grandparents or, or great grandparents what they paid for assets and what that is worth today, that's just the perfect illustration of how the supply of money mm. over time diminishes your returns and you need a lot more to pay for things. So don't just look at this oversupply stigma in real estate, think about it in cash and everything else too. That makes a lot of sense and couldn't agree more. Okay, so guys, we, we've addressed supply. Well, let me, sorry, Tiffy, yeah, let me just, and, and, and specifically just Meninda. Maninder, yes. Maninder. So specifically, um, just to be clear, if you have a look, supply has come off like 40%. There's been a lot less planning coming in, um, a lot less approvals going through. The government is buying a whole bunch of apartments now at the moment. So just also just to answer your question, no, there isn't an oversupply. Like generally there isn't. Um, I don't know what it means over the next 18 or 24 months. I don't understand. I, I don't know what's going to happen as far as migration and birth deaths and all that kind of stuff because we're going through a turbulent and an interesting time. So I don't know what's happening there. But as far as supply side, for the past year, almost two years, supply has been coming off a lot. And that's because we had a, a property crash. Lot less developers were putting in development applications. The price of land didn't necessarily get any cheaper. Buildings stayed the same price, so it gets it's too expensive for people to go and develop 
quality apartments out there these days. It's way more competitive. And also there's a huge backlog. Like councils can't get through all these applications. They haven't been able to get and push all these plans through at a pace that makes sense, particularly in the Sydney market. So that's just the, you know to answer specifically. Okay, so what we just said is supply is not the same to compare a one-bedroom versus a two-bedroom versus a three-bedroom, etc. So be very mindful of when you're talking about generic supply. What are you talking in particular about? We need to always bear in mind the demand side. When there is a lot of jobs being created in a certain area, we are seeing a lot of people moving into that area. I remember when I learned the numbers for, for instance, let's give an example, Liverpool. We, uh, over the last year, I think there were 100 new residents every week moving into the Liverpool LGA area. Like That's massive. Mm. So of course you need supply going into the area to cater for that much demand, right? Uh, so you need to bear both in mind that supply isn't just supply by itself, but also demand. Okay, guys, I'm going to go for the last fourth question. This one comes from Hari, and he's asking what markets will be growing the most in the next 10 years in Australia? Peter? Uh, the ones that have the best economies, the ones that are going to receive the most investment, uh, they will by no surprise be the ones that have the most demand. Mm. And in life, what I've learned is uh, don't underestimate the impact of demand, uh, particularly when it comes to investing and financial assets. It's something that is in demand today is likely to be in demand into the future. Not always, but more often than that. So if something is slightly expensive, slightly more of a premium, it's probably worthwhile investing in it. Um, Sydney is a excellent market to be investing in. Western Sydney is, is fantastic. Melbourne, for example, and the population demand there, it's going to be completely different. It's going to be Australia's most popular, uh, populist city by population by 2056. These are very good markets. Uh, these are markets that are enjoying a lot of the investment and infrastructure. A lot of the stimulus money will go there. The jobs will be there. To me, it's really that simple. Mm. Invest in the areas where the demand is strong. And you've said it plenty of times, keep it simple, right? 100%. Done. I, I agree with Peter first and foremost. I, I say that all the time. <laughs> I agree with Dom all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So look, I, that's As exactly a disclaimer, right. let, let's, let's put it on every podcast episode. So um, yeah, that's right. So the, the areas that have the most investment, the areas that have the most attention from private money, from governments, from um, that have demand for it, where lives are getting better, they're the areas that are going to have the most demand and they're the areas that are going to perform, perform the best. I think that... Um, That growth ring, those Western suburb cities, uh, Western city suburbs. Um, I think also, as Peter said, Melbourne is a great spot. I like some, I like in Melbourne, it's a little bit contentious, but I really love the inner city stuff that's really high quality premium because there's some really beautiful stuff in Melbourne that you can get for very cheap. It's so nice. Yeah, and you're you're close to the city, you have a really high quality lifestyle and I think there's going to be a demand for that going into the future. And then this is just something that I'm, I've been thinking about a lot recently and it might be a little bit contentious, but I think that there is also going to be a flight to lifestyle. I think that over the next five years, as a result of this coronavirus situation, More people are looking at the standards of living and saying, do I want to sit in the car for an hour or for 30 minutes 
And if I'm willing to do that, can I, excuse me, let me preface this. If I'm going to sit in the car for an hour, can I work from home two days or three days a week? And can I maybe drive for an hour and a half? Mm. So can I live somewhere that is absolutely beautiful Mm. and have a really great quality lifestyle for five days in the week and then travel for two days into the city to do what I need to do? So I think the fact that we're now not living on top of each other, we don't have to come into the office. Um, I'll give you for instance. So my... um, now fiance is working for government and a lot of them are working from home now and they're mm. going to be the last people to go back into the office. Optus recently put out a, a big memo saying they're bringing all the offshore telemarketing businesses onshore and those people don't have to go into the office. So they're just two little examples but if you've got more companies moving in that direction, Suddenly, you might have more people interested in living in the Central Coast or living down south or living, you know, an hour and a half away in the mountains where it's absolutely stunning because you have a high quality life. So, they might be good growth areas. That's so true. Right on the money. And there are a lot of different markets and come and talk to us. We do all the hard work and research them and pick them for you. So, we're the ones who don't don't lie awake at night thinking about these things so you don't have to. Yeah. That's spot on. And if I would want to say something is when you said look at demand, for me the message is if there's no demand, don't invest. Mm. Uh, 100% demand comes before anything when you're investing. And from coronavirus, I think we're all getting more and more used to working from home. So in the future, who knows, right? How our lifestyles and our way, way of working and going into the office will be looking like. Um, what what's our last message? So we've we've wrapped up with the questions, the four questions we've had. So Peter, what would you like to add? Send through more questions. I actually enjoyed doing this one. Yeah, I, I enjoyed doing this podcast. So send through, and I'd love to continue answering questions in this turbulent time. Yep, dumb. I agree with Peter. <laughs> now send us all your questions. We love this. Um, you know, and, and if you, again, if you hear something interesting and you want to know more, give us a call, reach out, do a wealth score, come and test us. It doesn't cost anything to reach out and see what we do firsthand. And if you liked anything from what you've heard in this podcast, please share it with your friends and family because we want to get it out there and be helping many, many other people. Yes. Okay, guys, thank you for your time. It was a pleasure as always and have a great day. You too.